Well, so we uh, don't have a, a Bible on the screen, um, so I'm just going to kind of talk to you today. You, if you got your Bible, that would be awesome. Um, if you want to open your Bible, or if you have it on a Bible app, that'd be great. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of speak to you today. I don't want to read chapter 6 of Nehemiah, which is where we are all the way through, unless it's on the screen. I'm going to talk about it. Um, and, and I want to start with this, man. I was just sitting there thinking, um, this wasn't really necessarily my script, but uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about karma lately. You hear people talk about karma? And I was sitting there thinking about my message, and I was thinking, man, you know, I think we've forgotten that we have an enemy that exists. And, you know, I hear people talk about karma caused something to happen. Man, I'm going to tell you, we got an enemy a lot worse than karma. I mean, karma is not what you need to be worried about. Uh, there's an enemy named Satan uh, who goes around like a lion seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And I think we've forgotten about that enemy. I think a lot of us have. I think a lot of us think that church is kind of a feel-good thing, that we come, we fellowship, and we enjoy each other's company, but there's no real enemy. The very thing that Satan wants to happen has happened in our world today. He has convinced us that he doesn't exist. I think people think that Satan is a made-up fictional character. If Satan is a made-up fictional character, then the Bible is a made-up fictional book. Because the Bible talks about Satan from the beginning to the end. From the very beginning, when you open your Bible and look at it, Satan is there. And he's tempting man and woman. To the very end of that book, the very reason that Jesus came and that he died was because there was an enemy called Satan, and there was sin, and he came to defeat it. And that's what Revelation talks about. So how is it that we live in a culture that says that Satan is a fictional character? See, Nehemiah is talking about dealing with the enemy if you read chapter 6. And I want you to take it, and I want you to read it on your own. I want you to really soak it in, because it's a lot. But it's about Nehemiah's enemies. And, and if you've been here and you've been following, Nehemiah um, and the people of Israel have built this wall around Jerusalem. They built this wall, and at the point in chapter 6, the wall is done. The work is finished with the wall, but there's a problem. The doors haven't been put on. And, and so they've got these holes in the wall. The wall's about two miles around in circumference, but there's holes in the wall and the doors haven't been put on the holes. And, and what I want to say to you today is a wall is no good if you don't put the doors on it. I, I'm, if you don't have the doors to secure the wall, then the enemy can come right in. And a lot of us have put up the wall of salvation, but we got doors that are wide open that we're letting the enemy in. We're building a house right now, and, and on our house, we're still missing a couple of exterior doors, at least one that I know of. We got all the walls up, we got some brick going up, we're putting hardy plank, but, but, the, but there's a door that's just wide open. Now, how dumb would I be if I were to put all my valuables in the house and walk away and go, enemy ain't going to touch it because I got the walls up? The enemy would just walk right in the door. It was no different with the wall of Jerusalem. It was a great thing to have it, but none of the doors have been put in. I think our spiritual lives are the same way. That we, a lot of times, have put up these walls, and we've kind of done some work, and we go to church, and we've been saved, and, and, and we have good relationships, and we pray, and all these things. But we've got these, 
these places that are exposed, and the enemy just keeps going in, and, and he's getting, he's getting, he's, he's looting our homes. He's taking our stuff, and he's just walking right out. And we're like, well, you know, I got all these things done, but you got like five gaping holes in your spiritual life. And instead of putting up our safeguards, instead of barricading those doors, we just go, well, I don't really want to have to deal with those right now, so I got pretty much the wall made, but I don't have the doors. So I'm going to leave a couple of doors off because those are kind of really difficult for me to deal with. Nehemiah, if you look at the text today, it's interesting. All of his enemies begin to harass him. So they actually start like threatening him. They start telling him things like, oh, you, you, you're just trying to get too much power. You're trying to gain too much power. You're trying to gain too much authority. And they start sending him letters. It names three different leaders who start sending him letters. And they all team up together and they go, you're trying to overthrow the government. You're trying to do this, this, and this. And they were actually all false accusations. All Nehemiah is trying to do is just go back and get the work done that God's called him to do, which is build the wall around Jerusalem. But people start attacking him, verbally attacking him. You know, the enemy loves to get in your head. He loves to get in your head. And a lot of us don't even know that the enemy's inside of our head. He's so inside our head that we don't even know it. He starts speaking truths to you that there are false, false things you start believe are true. You ever, have, you ever have those thoughts come into your head? Where you're just like laying there at night and you're like, man, I'm just no good. I'm sorry. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good dad. I'm just a drunk. I'm just whatever. And you start thinking, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just no good. And he takes you to a deep, dark place. You know how rampant suicide is in our world today? It's the darkest place. People, Young people, young people, pay attention. Be careful what the enemy's speaking in your mind. Because you'll start thinking you're not good enough. You're, you're, you don't look good enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not smart enough. You're not athletic enough. That's a lie from the enemy. See, God made you. Adults, God made you. He breathed in you the gift of life. You better believe he loves you. And so the enemy loves to play mind games. See, if he can get your mind, he can get your body. See, a, a, a lot of times, I mean, everything that you're dealing with is, is in your mind. So he's trying to attack Nehemiah's mind. And like Emily said, he consistently prays. He goes to the Lord and he prays and he asks the Lord. And he turns to the Lord. He doesn't turn to his friends now. Who's the first person you turn to when life hits a fan? Is it God? Or is it a friend? Or do you call somebody smart? Do you call your dad? Do you call your mom? Do you call your best friend? Do you call your brother? Who do you call? Go to God. Because I love if you read this chapter, Nehemiah just goes to God over and over and over. Every time somebody hits him, he goes to God. And he says, not today, Satan. If you watch him, he consistently puts his hand up like this. And he says, not today, Satan, not today, Satan, not today, Satan. And the best thing about Nehemiah is he's consistent. So many of us are inconsistent in our spiritual lives. We're on spiritual high, we're on spiritual low. On a spiritual high, on a spiritual low. Riding the roller coaster. No, no, no. we got to be consistent. That's why we have God's Word, because if we trust our emotion, we're not going to be consistent because we're emotional people. God is a consistent God. Anybody with me? He's a righteous, consistent God who is never changing. He doesn't fluctuate. He doesn't just get all emotional and hormonal, and he didn't get all flustered. He's a consistent God. And Nehemiah reflects that in his consistency in the way that he answers. In fact, if you read this chapter, four times they try to get Nehemiah's head. They want to meet with him. His enemies want to meet with him. Now, why in the world would Nehemiah not meet with his enemies? 
because he didn't want to give his enemies a seat at the table. A lot of times we invite the enemy right in. Here, take a seat with me. Everything else is going pretty good, but you go ahead and have a seat. You can sit there. You can take, you just go ahead and make residence in my house. It's okay. You just stay there for a little while. I know you won't be here long. Keep the enemy out. You got to identify the holes in your life. The holes, the places where he seeks in. You got to look for the, where he's cracking the door open. You got to barricade him. So he, he, his enemies four times try to get him on the fifth time. He essentially goes, nope, not happening. It's consistency. He is so consistent. See, Satan, the Bible says, is like a lion. And it says that he, he, he seeks, he prowls around seeking somebody to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, this is interesting if you study lions. I'm not a lion expert, but listen to this. When do lions hunt? When? They hunt at night. They hunt in the darkness. You know, the other thing that's interesting about a lion is that lions like to hunt during storms. You know why? Because their prey can't hear them coming. So when it's thundering, when the rain's pouring, a lion can sneak up on its prey without them hearing it. If you're in a storm, know that he can sneak up on you. You're too busy worried about everything else. And he's crouching, and he's coming to sneak up on you, and you're too worried about the blah. You're too worried about all the blah in your life. And, and in the meantime, you got your back turned to the enemy. See, Nehemiah, he had discernment. He wasn't smart. We go, man, Nehemiah was a smart man. He built the wall in 52 days. No, he wasn't. He was a godly man. And his godliness translated to success in our eyes because we go, he, he built a wall very quickly. Well, really, it was God that built the wall. He just used Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a faithful, diligent, discerning man. And he knew the difference between bad decisions and good decisions. Listen, he knew the difference between bad voices and good voices in his life. Because you got to be able to discern. Because some of us look for advice and anywhere we can get it. We're going, gosh, man, I got a problem at work. Let me Google. I got a problem in my marriage. Let me Google. Uh, let me find a good counselor, whatever. Listen, we've got to discern what's a good voice and what's a bad voice. You have to do this all the time as a pastor. Um, you have to discern I'm sure you do in your line of work. But as a pastor, you have to be really attuned because there's spiritual battle that goes on. There's lots of voices and lots of opinions, and you have to have discernment. We should all have discernment. Nehemiah had discernment to know that the enemy was coming after him. Um, in one point in the text, it says that they had criticized Nehemiah, and, and it essentially says... They, they were harassing him, and, and their explanation was, if we keep doing this, in verse 9, their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. So they thought that if they harassed him enough, he couldn't get the work done. That if there was enough opposition, God's will couldn't be accomplished. Have you ever been in that situation? It's like where somebody's just pounding and pounding and pounding and God's calling you to do something, but you're facing opposition and adversity. And you're like, man, I just want to give up. But listen what Nehemiah says. They said that their hands would get too weak, but Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. When we get weak, we have to ask God for strength. Don't try to man up. 
Don't think you can do it in your own strength. You got to tap into the eternal strength. Into the one who has a cup that is ever flowing. That's him. And so he prays, strengthen my hands. They even had one guy, if you, if you look at verse 10, there's, there's a guy that tried to pull him and said, just give up, come in the temple and shut the doors because they're going to come kill you. And Nehemiah just goes, he said in verse 11, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I won't go. He's like, God called me to it, he'll bring me through it. If God wants to kill me in this process, let him kill me. But he called me to it, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to do it, and we're going to accomplish this. That's courage. Not Nehemiah's strength, not Nehemiah's courage. He had God's strength and God's courage. It says in verse 13 that that man had been hired to intimidate Nehemiah. He says, he'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. See, he had discernment. Do you know when somebody's trying to tarnish your name? Do you know when somebody has good for your life? Do you know when someone's in the will of God? Do you know the difference between false and truth? The only way that you know the difference between something that's false and something that's true is if you know God's Word. You've got to know God's Word. Well, I just disagree with them. Why do you disagree with them? You've got to have the litmus test of the Bible and of the Scriptures. We have to. So in verse 14, kind of how he, it, it wraps up, it says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, these are the guys against him, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. He knew they were trying to intimidate him. He knew they were trying to take him down because he had discernment. And he's like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. It will kill me, but I'm not giving up. You got to admire the man. How long did it take him to build the wall? 52 days. Y'all follow me? 52 days. How long was the wall? Two miles around, 12 miles thick, 40 feet, or I'm sorry, 12 miles thick, 12, 12 feet thick and 40 feet tall. That's a big wall. 52 days. 52 days. I mean, month and a half, they built the whole wall, organized all the people, got all the people together. They built a two-mile wall in 52 days. Not just two-mile wall, 12 feet thick, 40 feet tall. I mean, that's like this. It's like the ceiling height for two miles. It's insane. How did they do it? They were smart people. Uh-uh. They followed God. It was God that wanted the wall built. If God wants to do something with this church, it, he can do it. But it's got to be his will, not our will. It's got to be his strength, not our strength. It's got to be on his watch, not our watch. But if he calls us to it and we hear him and we seek him and we follow him, you would be shocked at what God can do in 52 days. We're 90 days into a new entity. Time to get to work. We are working. Not enough. We've got to discern what it is that God's calling us to do. 52 days. It absolutely, that's, that's the most amazing verse of the entire thing, that they built the wall in 52 days. So, anyway, so he gets all the people. They got the wall built. They're going to put the doors on. 
It says in verse 15, so the wall was completed in the 21st of Elul in 52 days. Now, a couple of things I want to say. Um, so, one, um, let, let, let me say, he, okay, so he built the wall in 52 days, but I actually think this is really fascinating. Uh, took, let's say, two months to build the wall, a month and a half. How long did he pray before that? You remember? Took him a month and a half to build the wall. How long did he pray before he started building the wall? Y'all didn't read Nehemiah, did you? Four months. He spent four months in prayer to build a wall in a month and a half. Now, don't we do the opposite of that? Don't we spend four, or don't, don't we spend a month and a half, well, a day and a half, hour and a half praying, a minute and a half, that'd be better. And then we spend four months just trying to get it done. What if we just spent so much more time praying and said, let's shut this machine down, let's just pray. I wonder sometimes when you do that as a church, say, let's just shut the machine down and let's just pray. All meetings, all things that we have going on, we're going to shut them down. All trips, all functions, all programs, all worship services, all the busyness, everybody we're trying to hire, all we're trying to do, we're just going to shut it down and we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray for four months. And y'all have a new senior pastor after that because I'd get fired, but, uh, but at least I'd get your attention. So I think there's a lot of messages here. Here's one of the last things I want to say, and you've got to remember this. One thing I hope that I can bring to your awareness today is that there is an enemy. Man, people don't believe it anymore. And I want you to think about this. You see, every time you see the shadow of the enemy, I was thinking about this image this morning, every time you see the shadow of the enemy and that shadow intimidates you, I want you to remember that on the other side of the silhouette that's causing that shadow is a God who's shining. You hear that? Every time you see a shadow of the enemy and you want to run, you want to be afraid, you want to be intimidated, you want to be anxious, remember that there is a God on the other side of that silhouette that's causing that shadow. You see, if you knew how bright your God shines, you wouldn't be afraid of the shadows. The only reason there's a shadow is because there's a bright light on the other side. And if God didn't exist, we'd never recognize the shadow. So pay attention to the shadow, but don't run from it. Stand in the face of it with courage and know that your God is on the other side. And one day, all darkness is going to be gone. Every shadow is going to be gone because we're going to stand in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You think Nehemiah was amazing? You start reading the New Testament, and you'll meet a man named Jesus. He puts Nehemiah to shame because he's got zero sin, and yet he goes and he dies on the cross for you and me so that we can do this and so that we can have eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, God, you were an awesome and amazing God, and so often we forget, Father, why you came on this earth and why you died. And this is no feel-good message, Lord Jesus, that you came to bring. Yes, the gospel is good news, but you came to die for a reason. You came to die to save us from our sin and to save us from death. May we never take light of that. May it be a wake-up call to us, Lord, that we're in a battle, in a, in, in a spiritual battle, 
For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual, the spiritual enemies, the spiritual places of darkness. We ask you to set us free from that, Lord. May we stand in the face of the shadows with confidence in the Almighty God that we serve. No matter what the task is that you lay on our heart, may we stand with courage. Even when we have fear, Lord, may we choose faith and may we choose a trust in you. Thank you, Lord. I pray for this church. I pray that we step up, we step out, and we step into your calling for us. May we have extreme clarity on what that is. As we come to this table, Lord, we come as people of faith. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.